There is an unseen hand to me that leads Welcome to the Unseen Hand Podcast, featuring the pulpit ministry of missionary evangelist Ronnie Brown. Listen in as Brother Ronnie shares the truth of the Bible and how God's unseen hand can lead and guide your life with each and every verse. This hand still leads me as I go. Last week, we talked about those veils, the one that was behind us because we were in the holy place and we're surrounded by the articles of furniture such as the table of showbread, the uh, candlestick, uh, the golden candlestick, the altar of incense behind us was a veil and before us was a veil. In our last point in the last message, we talked about how that that veil had been rent and what used to be a caution, a stop, a go no further is now an invitation to come right on in. And so tonight we'll spend uh, one of two weeks inside that uh, most holy place. And uh, I found it interesting in my studies uh, this week, and this is a side outside of this message, that as I said last week, the only person allowed in the days of the tabernacle back there was the high priest once a year. But found out that Moses could go anytime he wanted to. That's good. I don't, I don't know if you got whatever, what I did, but Moses could go in there whenever he wanted. Oh, isn't that just like our position in our relationship with the Lord Jesus? Well, take your Bible and turn it to Exodus chapter number 25. That little nugget right there was free. You don't have to pay for that one or nothing. Exodus 25, and let's all stand. Exodus 25, verse number 10. We'll be looking at tonight the Ark of the Covenant. A very beloved topic for me. There's been a message that I've preached down through the years. Good night. Probably I probably preached that message the first time in my second year. And I've, I have worn that puppy out through the years. Love to preach about that missing ark. Well, this is a subject that is very dear to my heart. Like I said, and we're going to be talking about the Ark of the Covenant. Look at Exodus 25. Pick up reading to verse number 10. We'll read down through verse 16. And they shall make an ark of shittim wood, two cubits and a half shall be the length of it, and a cubit and a half the breadth, and thereof, and the cubit and a half the height thereof. And thou shalt overlay it with pure gold, within and without shall it overlay. And thou and, and shalt make and thou shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it and put them in the four corners thereof. And uh, two rings shall be on one side of it and two rings on the other side. And thou shalt make staves of shittim wood, overlay them with gold. And thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark and the ark may be borne with them. And the staves shall not... Uh, shall be in the rings of the ark, and they shall not be taken from it. And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. You can be seated. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. And I want to spend some time talking about the ark of the covenant. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dearly Father, God, we are so thankful that in this study of the tabernacle and in this in this 
uh, truth of our day. We, like Moses, can come into your presence anytime we need to. We could stand and face you, uh, uh, not of our own merits, Father, but by the blood of Jesus, a new and living way has been made into your presence. And Father, we thank you for that. Now, God, as we come into that holy place and in our minds we, we make our way through this tabernacle into this holy place, God, I pray that you give us a fresh view, a fresh vision of the Ark of the Covenant. Because in that covenant, in that Ark of the Covenant, we see nothing but our dear Lamb, the Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you give us insights into who Jesus is and what He should be in our lives. And God, I pray that we'd be nourished, strengthened, admonished, corrected when we leave this place tonight to be the people that you'd have us to be. To walk in the relationship that is our birthright as your children. And God, whatever you do, we'll thank you and praise you and give you all the glory for your alone are worthy. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. And amen. Did you know that in the Old Testament there is not one ark, but there are three arks that are mentioned in the Old Testament. And in each of these three cases, the prevailing characteristic is that of preservation. The over, overwhelming characteristic is preservation. You think about the first of those three is the ark of Noah. Ark of Noah made of gopher wood, pitched within and without, that was used to, in which to contain all of the animals of creation and the eight lives in Noah's family. And it preserved them from the floodwaters of judgment. The next ark we see is the ark of, I call it the ark of baby Moses. The ark we'll study tonight sometimes is called the ark of Moses, but we'll call this the ark of of baby Moses. Little Moses, remember his mother, how that, uh, that the law of Egypt in that day was that uh, uh, all the, uh, the baby boys would be slaughtered and, and this mother wanted to preserve this baby so she made this ark of reeds and she pitched it with slime on the inside and without and made it uh, a little basket for that baby Moses, put baby Moses in it and sent him out on the waters. And that ark was preserving the life of Moses from the waters of the Nile River. The third ark is what we find in our text tonight. It is the ark of the covenant. It preserved the children of Israel from the death waters of the Jordan River. You'll read in Joshua how that they made their way across the Jordan River and it was the Ark of the Covenant. Not that they were on the inside of the Ark, but on the outside of the Ark, the waters were pushed back and the people could walk across on dry land. This Ark of the Covenant also preserved the items on the inside. One from verse 16 tells us that it preserved inside of it the testimony or the law, the, the, the stone tablets of the law were preserved in the ark. We'll find out later how that there are other items that were in that Ark of the Covenant that were preserved. But its overreaching theme is that of preservation. It is my contention that just like the Ark of Noah and the Ark of Baby Moses and the Ark of the Covenant preserved lives from death, I believe the parallel can be seen as well. Because 
who really preserves our lives from death. It is Jesus Christ. You see, the ark in and of itself is a picture of Jesus who preserves us from death. Here's my proposition. Here in this passage of Scripture, I want to parallel three characteristics between the ark and Christ and show how that it is absolutely, uh, He is an absolute necessity for our preservation. If you want to be preserved from the from the flood tide of God's wrath, not in water, but in fire. Not in the floods, but in, in the fire and brimstone lake of fire. If we would be preserved from that judgment, we need Jesus. And so I want you to see three aspects, three descriptions that parallel the Lord Jesus. The first one I want you to see is this. This ark depicts the identity of Jesus. This ark depicts the identity of Jesus. You know, every part and every place, every phrase and phase of this tabernacle has pointed us to Jesus. I don't think there's been a single a single part, a single portion that has not in some shape, manner or form pointed us to the person and the work of Jesus. Have you thought of the layout? I, I've got a book that has an overhead shot of the layout. You think about it in your mind. You've uh, Let's say the bottom is the east. The top is the west. At the east you've got the gate, the altar, the brazen altar. Then inside the tabernacle you've got what? On the right side, table of showbread. On the left side, the golden candlestick. Straight ahead, you've got the altar of incense. Above that, straight ahead of it, is you've got the Ark of the Covenant and the Mercy Seat. And if you take those and look at them, what do you have? You've got a cross. It's amazing how that the whole layout points us to the cross of Christ. Jesus Himself. It makes, but this, uh, this ark is the centerpiece of the tabernacle. It is the crowning piece of the tabernacle. The person of Christ is the central figure in our way to God. What have we been trying to do in this tabernacle? We're sinful people. We want to get to God. What is the preeminent uh, way to get to God? It is by Jesus Christ. This this, uh, altar, this ark of the covenant is a picture of the Lord Jesus. It has everything to do in this tabernacle with the ark. In the New Testament, if we want to be right with God, it's got everything to do with Jesus. Just like everything had to do with the Ark of the Covenant in that tabernacle, everything has to do with Jesus when it comes to being right with God. I want you to see, first of all, His humanity is incorruptible. Notice in verse number 10, And they shall make an ark of shittim wood. Shittim wood. Now I know, you. I think I've talked about shittim wood nearly at 90% of these messages. Because in nearly every circumstance, we find something that is made from this wood overlaid with something else. I believe the, the, the brazen altar was made of that shittim wood overlaid with brass. We go in, we find that table of showbread was uh, shittim wood overlaid with gold. Altar of incense, the same thing. Here, this is no different. It is made of that acacia wood. And as I've said time and time again, 
It is a picture of the humanity of Jesus. It's stamped all over this tabernacle. The humanity and the deity of Jesus Christ. Now, shittim wood, as I've told you before, is that hard, durable wood of the desert made of that acacia tree, uh, we would call it. It still grows out in the Sinai uh, desert in that, in that dry place. It, dry, it grows in a dry and barren place. When I think of that, I think about Isaiah 53 too. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, as a root out of dry ground. That there is no beauty that we should desire Him. That's what this tree was. That gnarled and, and dry hard wood from the desert. You know that the Septuagint, you know what the Septuagint is? There were many Jews living in, in the time of Jesus. There were many Jews that were living in Egypt. And the Jewish people there uh, did not understand their Hebrew roots, the Hebrew language. And so they requested a Greek translation of the old Hebrew Scriptures. And those old rabbis took that to Septuagint uh, and translated it into Greek. And there are many insightful things you can draw from that. But the word used in the Septuagint for this wood is a Greek word that means incorruptible. I found that fascinating. It means non-corrupting or non-decaying wood. How fitting for a type of the sinless Son of God. You know, it's hard to believe uh, that some criminals, think about this. It's hard to believe that some criminals, take your murderer, your rapist, uh, uh, your, your uh, violent thief, your murderer. You take those, you know, at one time, I don't care if there is solitary confinement on death row. At one time, they were a little baby in some mama's arm. You know, cute, cuddly. I mean, a little pile of wrinkles just about that long. I mean, just the cutest thing you ever laid eyes on. Uh, you wouldn't think of this person, this little creature being offensive in one way or another. On the outside, they looked absolutely harmless and, 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 and pure and, uh, and innocent. But through the years, the sin nature on the inside manifests itself on the outside and they become criminals. And it, it's hard to believe to connect between that criminal and that little baby. You think about Jesus. Jesus, when He died on that cross and He gave His life's breath on that cross, He was just as innocent, just as pure, just as sinless as He was the day He was born in that stable in Bethlehem. He was spotless, pure, holy, undefiled, and separate from sinners. 1 Peter 2.22, he, he did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. 1 John 3.5, and we know that he was manifest to take away sin. In him is no sin. The humanity of Jesus, it was incorruptible. Incorruptible. Notice second of all, not only the humanity is incorruptible, but his deity is is indisputable. Not only do we see it's made of shit and wood, look at verse 11, and thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. Within and without shall it be overlaid. It shall make up, and you shall make up it with a crown of gold round about. Not only was he human, flesh, bone, just like the same form of you, and I can't emphasize that enough. And I, sometimes it's hard for people to grasp but Jesus was not a ghostly figure. 
Jesus did not have a halo. You see a lot of those uh, pictures uh, uh, from the Renaissance and the Baroque period of art and, uh, and how that they'll have a halo, some kind of halo painted over the head. That is not the case. There was nothing unusual about him. Isaiah 53, 2 just said, there's nothing that we should desire him, nothing comely about him, nothing that would draw us to him. He was in the same human form as us, but he was divine. He was God made in the flesh. Colossians 2, 9, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That cannot be fathomed. All of the fullness of God that fills the universes, that fills the fathomless depths of the, of the space around us, that same God was placed into the form of a man. The form of a man. He was born of a virgin without the taint of sin. He, Jesus said this. Listen, Jesus is proved to be deity by His words. Listen to what Jesus said. Jesus said uh, of His own words that they were spirit and they were life. Can you imagine someone saying that the very words coming out of my mouth could be life for, for somebody? That believe on my words, you'll have life. Jesus also said of Himself that except you believe in Him, you will all likewise perish. You'll die in your sins. Jesus said uh, that before Abraham was, oh listen, this got all under their dander. Before Abraham was, I am. That's a, how in the world could anybody say such a thing? Jesus went on to have the audacity to say, Philip, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I mean, you talk about bold statements for someone to make. His words tell us in, in, uh, indisputably that he, he's either liar, lunatic, or his Lord. Alright? So by his own words we find it's indisputable evidence. Also, think about his actions, the things that he did. He healed the sick. He caused those that have been laid waste by sickness for 30 and 40 years to rise up and begin to walk. Take withered hands and straighten them out. Open blinded eyes. Cause lame to walk. Uh, cleanse the skin of dying lepers. By his own deeds, he manifests himself as God. He was able to feed 5,000 with five loaves and two fishes. He decided his own death. Even his own death declares him indisputably to be divine. I bet you can't declare your own death. What of you have <laughs> I'd rather not talk about my death right now. You don't know when you're going to die. Not, not a single person in this room, not a child, not an adult, not the eldest among us can point to the time in which they'll die. Jesus said, I lay down my life, I take it up again. It said on the cross that of Jesus that after he, he breathed his last, he gave up the ghost. He spoke himself into his own death. He lowered his head. It specifically tells us that he lowered his head and gave up the ghost. You know, most humans, when they come to that point of death, they raise their head. It's a natural reaction to gasp for more air. But not when it comes to Jesus. He lowered his head and gave up the ghost. He willingly put down his own life. He was in command of it. 
you see, by his words, his actions, and his death, he proves in indisputably that he is God. First Timothy three sixteen, and without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached to the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received into glory. John 1, 24, the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. You see, this box, this box is a picture of Jesus. Now a lot of people, a lot of people have a lot of speculation as to what happened to the Ark of the Covenant. You know, I told my famous, back in the January, I talked about how that uh, this guy on eBay said that he had the Ark of the Covenant. Did you know that? He had the Ark. And, and uh, people have speculated it's buried under the Temple Mound. And some think that it's buried under uh, Golgotha. So that when Jesus died, the blood came down and dripped on the mercy seat. Uh, some people uh, say that an Ethiopian sect of Jewish religion have the Ark of the Covenant tucked away. I really don't know where the Ark is. But to be honest with you, I really don't care. Because I traded the box for a beloved. <laughs> I, I, I traded the shadow for the substance. I don't need a box anymore. I've got Jesus, the God-man, the way to God. He is the only way to him, to God. Not by a box anymore, but by the beloved. The ark depicts the identity of Jesus. Not only that, I want you to see how the ark displays the priority of Jesus. Notice uh, in verse number uh, 10. It said that thou shalt make an ark of shittim wood of two cubits and half a cubit to be the length thereof and the cubit and a half a cubit the breadth. He goes on to give the dimensions. But notice where we are. All of the, all of the articles of this furniture are revolved around and are supplemental to the ark of the covenant. It could be said this way. If you didn't have the ark, you wouldn't have a tabernacle. I mean, it's so influential. It's so important. It is the base, central element of the tabernacle that if you had no ark, well, then you had no tabernacle. It was that important. You know, the same can be said about Jesus. Take Christ out of a Christian, all you got is a sinner. Take uh, take Christ uh, out of the church, all you got is a club. Take Christ out of the Bible, all you got is a book. Dr. Jerry Vine said this, In every Christian, Jesus is present. In some Christians, Jesus is prominent. But in every uh, person, every person, every Christian, God wants uh, to be preeminent. He wants to be absolutely first in our life. You see, Christ is to be primary. He's to be priority. Talked about that this morning. A people, be, a people being of one accord means they're of one passion. That's what this tabernacle is about. It's about one thing. It all points to that one element, that one article of furniture, the Ark of the Covenant. I want you to see, first of all, that He is to be first in preeminence. First in preeminence. Notice verse number 10. Now, I read that just a second ago. I want you to think this. Have you noticed what's been going on in our study of the tabernacle? Have you noticed? You picked up on it yet? 
Maybe you haven't. Do you realize we're going backwards through the book of Exodus? We started out, we were in later chapters 36, 37, 38, and now we're going backwards in the book of Exodus to follow. You see, what we've been doing, remember I told you we'd start out as a sinful people trying to get to God. Well, when God wrote it in the book of Exodus, He wrote it from God getting to us. You see, He wrote it from this. This is the premier piece. Uh, when you go into chapter number 25, God talks, about, uh, uh, God talks about some of the things of the priesthood, but the first article of furniture of the tabernacle was the ark. It was the central, the first preeminent piece in the tabernacle. We start on the outside, God starts on the inside. You know, that's how God thinks. It's amazing. We, we think like this. We'll build a house, and then we'll pick out the furniture to go in the house. God picks out the furniture, builds a house around it. See, that's how God thinks. Now, that's amazing. In our Christian life, that's what He does. He puts the article of furniture, Jesus, in our hearts, and then He rearranges everything else around it. He begins to move and to shape our lives in coordination with what He put in the central place in our life. He places Christ in our heart and then rearranges our entire lives according to Him. You see, He's to be first preeminence. He's to be, He's to sit on the throne in our hearts, as I like to say so many times. He deserves the throne rights. He deserves the place of all decision making, our wills, our, uh, our volition, all pass by His seat, by His place of preeminence. I wonder, is that the case in your life? That He has first preeminence. He has first priority. The things of God come first. The things uh, are revolving around Christ come first in our lives. He has first preeminence. But second of all, He has front priority. Not only was it the first in order, but it was the first in travel as well. In Numbers 33.10, it gives us an example of that. And they departed from the mount of the Lord three days journey, and the ark of the covenant of the Lord went before them in the three days journey to search out a resting place. I'm sure it was a strange looking sight from a helicopter's viewpoint, right? Let's say we're in our magical time travel plane. Remember what I told you about when we first started? And we're flying over these people. And let's say they pulled up stakes and they're going somewhere. You know what it would look like? First of all, we'd see a cloud. Pillar of, pillar of fire by night, cloud by day. I'm convinced that it come up from that Ark of the Covenant and stretched over the entire people. But out in front is this little bitty box. Four, basically four foot by two foot by two foot carried by four priests with staves on their shoulders. It's way out front. Then there's a single man, Moses. He's behind it. Then after that, I imagine it's the pieces of the temple, the, the boards and the altars and the candlesticks and the labors and all that being carried. And then behind them, a drove millions and millions of people all following a little box way out front. I'm sure it looked kind of strange to the passerby. But this ark was out in front 
in the desert. It led them through that 40 years in the desert. Guess what was always out front? It wasn't Moses. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't a bunch of, uh, of priests scratching their head wondering where to go next. No, they were following the box. They were following the very presence, the Shekinah glory of God, which, which uh, 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 dwelt right above that ark and that mercy seat. They were following that box. You know what that tells me and you? That tells me and you. And when they followed that box through the desert, there is nothing. There is no place no desolate. There is no place so dry. There is no place so, uh, uh, so lost and wandering in this world that God can't see us through to a promised land. You know, that Ark of the Covenant was what led them across that Jordan River. I talked about that a little earlier. How that those priests put their foot on that, and as soon as the sole of their foot touched that water, it parted both ways, and they went across the river. You know what that tells me and you? That there is no separation. There is no divide. There is no place, an obstacle in which we cannot overcome when Jesus is in front of our lives. You know, when you go to that first battle in Jericho and how that the, the priests were to have that ark in front leading them around and around the walls of Jericho. You know what that tells me, you and me? I bet you've guessed it so far. There is no enemy. There is no conflict. There is no battle. There's no blockage that can keep us out when God is first in our lives. It is a place of first priority. Is Jesus in front of your pilgrim way? Is Jesus the one you're following? Or are you making your own road map? Uh, Colossians 1.18 sums it up best. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have preeminence. In all things he's to have first place. In all things he's to have first choice, first place out in front. I'm not leading my army. I'm not leading this church. I'm trying to follow God as I lead this church. Listen, I'm not leading you. You need to follow God as I follow God. You see, the truth be known, most of us live lives of ambiguity because Christ is not. Most of us live in defeat. Most of us live in separation, separated from what God promised us, what is our rightful possession because Christ isn't in the front place. Most of us wander around in a desert of God's welfare. That's what it was. God's welfare of manna and water out of the rock when we could be eating grapes as large as... Oh, what did they say? There's, I like what old Maze Jackson said. They could, when they crossed the Jordan River, they popped one of those grapes and cut out the inside and used it like a shower cap. The grapes are so big in promise. And a land flowing of milk and honey. We're wandering around the desert. Why? Because Jesus is not out front. Jesus is not the main thing. He's not the front position in our lives. The ark displays the priority of Jesus. The ark displays the identity of Jesus. Finally, the ark details the sufficiency of Jesus. The sufficiency of Jesus. Now, here's a Hollywood red alert. Don't believe everything you see in Hollywood. There is a famous movie about this Ark of the Covenant. And in the climactic scene in that movie, they remove the lid of the Ark and they reach down inside to pull up its contents and all they found was sand. Sand. It made it seem like the children of Israel were just carrying around a box of sand all through the wilderness and all through them years. Don't believe a word of it. Because this Bible said that there are some key elements that's been placed in that ark. And guess what? 
those elements, guess who they point to? I give you one guess. Jesus. They point out everyone. Don't, don't, don't get quiet on me. Jesus is who they point to. I want you to see, first of all, we see that the, and in these contents we find the sufficiency of Jesus. I want you to see uh, that Jesus is sufficient for our present violation. Verse number 16. Verse number 16. By the way, listen, I can't exhaust. I, I would bore you to tears. Maybe not. I don't know. If I exhausted every aspect of this. I don't have time to talk about all of the rings and what they would signify and what they mean. I mean, this is so, this is deeper than I ever, ever dreamed it could get. And so if you think I'm missing something, there's a great place for you to study. Amen. But look at verse number 16. And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. Notice what it's talking about. The testimony. What's he referring to? He is referring to the moral law. The Ten Commandments of God. You remember when Moses went up on top of that mount and he was there for so many days that the children of Israel thought he had died, that he was dead up in that mount. But in that time when he was up there, God was giving him the Ten Commandments. He was also giving him the pattern, uh, visual pattern of what this tabernacle is supposed to look like. But God gave him those tablets of stone, those ten words, the moral law. And and remember what happened? Moses was on his way down and he couldn't get to the bottom of the mountain before, guess what? The children of Israel had broken every one of those laws. And he gets to the bottom and in, and enraged that God had broke that they had broken God's law. He took those he took those commandments and shattered them on the ground, representing the broken law. We've broken law. What this is indicating here is that those pieces of that broken law were taken and placed inside this ark of the covenant. Placed inside the ark. See, this broken law is a reminder that we could not keep God's law. You can't keep... You say, well, Brother Roddy, I'm pretty good. I, you know, I, I feel like I've got a good shot at, at the Ten Commandments. And, and if I've done anything, I might, might have broken one law. Well, you're still in trouble. James 2.10 says, if you keep the whole law and yet offend in one point... It all comes crashing down like a stack of cards. You're guilty of all. You say, well, Brother Ryan, that don't make sense. Well, it kind of does. Think about it this way. Let's say you've got a chain and you're dangling over the Grand Canyon by a helicopter right out there, five, uh, maybe three miles above the floor of the Grand Canyon. And you're holding on to the bottom of that helicopter, but you've got ten links of chain all the way down that you're hanging on. You're trying, boy, that chain's pretty good. It's going to hold me. If I can hold out, I'll make it to the other side. Well, you, as you're looking up, you start to notice that one of those links don't look, don't look too good. It looks kind of puny. looks more like a paper clip than it does a, 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 a chain link. And all of a sudden, you see that thing begin to break, and it begins to bend until finally it lets loose, and all of a sudden you're falling. But guess what you're saying? Glory to God, I've still got nine of them that are in good. No, that's not the case of all. God says that if we break one law, we are guilty of all. One law, and we are guilty. But as I said earlier, who's this, who is the type 
of this or, or who is this a box a type of? It is of the Lord Jesus. And what did I say of Him? He was sinless without sin. There was not one infraction of God's moral, civil, ceremonial law by the Lord Jesus Christ. Psalm 40 and verse 8. Uh, uh, we, they, most scholars put these words in the, in the, in the uh, mouth of the Lord Jesus. I delight to do thy will, O God. Yea, thy law is within my heart. Matthew five seventeen. Think not I am come to destroy the law. Or, or the prophets. I am come that they, uh, not to destroy, but to fulfill. Je- Romans 8 3. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, that's us, flesh, we couldn't keep the law. God, sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. Romans 10 4. For Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to everyone that believeth. You see, Jesus is a picture of the ark because He kept the law. The law that we couldn't keep. Greg, the law we broke time and time again. God kept it in His Son. He kept the law. He holds the law in and of Himself. You see, Christ is sufficient for our present violation. For the problems and sin of our life, He is sufficient to pay the debt of our sin. Not only that, He is sufficient for the persistent of starvation, our persistent starvation. Take your Bible and turn to Hebrews chapter number 9. Now all we have there in the Old Testament was that the Ark of the Covenant was to have just the, uh, the testimony, the Ten Commandments. But Hebrews, uh, Hebrews 9 gives us a little more light. Look at Hebrews 9 and verse number 4. Hebrews 9 and verse number 4. Hebrews 9, 4 says this, which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of the covenant. You see, this ark of the covenant was more than just a carrier of God's law. It was kind of a Hebrew keepsake box. It kept some special things in it. And those special things, not only the law is seen as as having a part of Christ, but, but these articles, notice what we find here for our sufficient, persistent, uh, He is sufficient for our persistent starvation. We see, first of all, that there was this golden pot of manna. Now that was a perpetual reminder of God's provision for their hunger. You see, that pot of manna contained, uh, or that pot contained manna, which God sent. Remember that 40 years of the wilderness? How that God met their needs? They had to starve to death if they had to have lived off of what was in that desert. But every day God sent manna. Uh, it, was a, it was sweet and it was round. And biblically, that means it was a Krispy Kreme donut hole. He sent it, and I'm kidding, of course, but he sent that down and, and to, to be on that floor, uh, on, that, on that ground every morning, and they'd go out and they would find that as sustenance and it would meet the hungers and the need of their life. You know that? I know it wasn't, I know it wasn't a Krispy Kreme donut hole, but it had, because it had every nutrient and every vitamin that they needed to survive, you can, I'm sorry, I, I, I'd like to try 
but you can't live off of Krispy Kreme donuts for an extended period of time. Forty years in the desert, and they uh, and they lived off of the sustenance of this manna. Rabbis said, rabbis are said to have, have said this that it pleased every taste. You know, my boys, some got taste for this, and some got taste for that. And it's hard to it's hard to tell which one will like what this and that. But manna, if they were to, both of them, it's hard to hardly ever you find them like the same thing, you know. Uh, but hard, but when it come down to manna, why every one of them, Grayson would have liked it, everyone liked it, and even Allison would she'd have liked it too. All three of them would agree on one thing, which is like having the planets align. You see, it would have it was palatable for every taste. You know what that says to us? That you never have a physical need that Jesus can't meet. That you never have an emotional need that Jesus cannot be sufficient for. That you never have a spiritual need that cannot be met in the person of Jesus Christ. He is sufficient to satisfy our persistent starvation. You see, whatever your need is spiritually, Jesus can provide. He is the hidden manna that will fill our hungry souls. John 10, 10, Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. He is sufficient for our present violation. He's sufficient for our persistent starvation. He is sufficient for our pending destination. Notice what it also had. Not only this golden pot of manna, but also had Aaron's rod that budded. Now what's that talking about? Well, it gets back to a happening in the Old Testament. Numbers chapter number 17 talks about a group of people that have kind of, they kind of threw up a rebellion. They say, you know, Moses and, uh, and Aaron, you've been running this show for a while, but I, I think we're a little bit better at it. And, we're, and, you know, you just don't have ownership. It's just not all about you. And so we'd like to give it a shot. We'd like to be priests and we'd like to be uh, people that lead and, and this and that. And so they come up against him. Well, what Moses did to settle the case with Aaron is that they took rods from an almond tree and they cut off rods of same length and they put a name of every prince of every tribe on those rods. Aaron was one of them because Aaron was from the tribe of Levi. They put Aaron's name on one and then they put uh, all kinds of other names uh, from men all throughout all the tribes and they laid them out. And they came back the next day and when the, the one that buds, he'll be the one that will make the high priest. Even after God said Aaron will be the high priest, we're going to do it this way. And so when they came back, all the other rods from the almond trees were dead. But guess what Aaron's rod did? It not only was alive, it flourished and in one night gave almonds and gave fruit. It budded. It was alive. It is a picture of resurrection life. It is a picture. You know, our problem is Hebrews 9.27 says that we have an appointment with death. Every one of us are going to die. Every one of us, our heart's going to stop beating barring the return of Jesus Christ. Our heart's going to start beating. We're going to go grow stiff and cold and we're going to die. But Christ died and was raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of many brethren. He is alive and alive forevermore. Revelation 1.18, Jesus said, I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. You see, Jesus is sufficient for the needs of our destiny. Jesus is sufficient for our eternal destiny. 
Listen, all of us are going to die, but all of us will live on. Trooping on every person in the universe is going to continue to exist long after their death. The only question is where? Do you have a destiny that has been secured by, by the cross of Calvary and the blood of Jesus Christ? Then he, is, he has been sufficient for your pending destiny. But if you're here today without a saving knowledge of Jesus, your destiny is in peril your destiny's not settled. It is, it, is, uh, it is bent for hell right now. It is bent for the judgment of God, the lake of fire. Only Jesus is sufficient to meet our pending destination. In closing, just as the ark was the focal point in which the life of these wanderers revolved their world around, So us as pilgrims journeying to a promised land have Jesus Christ as the central figure in our life. I wonder, is Jesus preeminent first in your life? Oh, listen, in my life that was settled long ago. Long ago, I settled who would make the decision who I would bow down to. I fought him for a long time. I tried to, even though I'd been saved and he, he, he dwelt my heart, there was a constant struggle about who would rule and who would reign. And I'm not going to be a false facade and tell you that there's not a struggle from time to time in that same spot. But I made a decision a long time ago that I'll do my dead level best to let God rule in my life. Let God be the leader. Let He be the first uh, key, the first note in my life. Let Him have that preeminent role in my life. I wonder, have you done the same? Have you been living a wandering, haphazard life? On again, off again. Jesus rules one day and then He's off the throne and you're on the throne the next. I'm telling you, it is a recipe for disaster. Because in this Ark of the Covenant, we find that Jesus is God and that He deserves a place of first in our life. And when He's in that place of first, we have victory, we have successes, we have uh, life in that, and we have everything we need in that person, Jesus, who's out front. Is he first and foremost in your life? Let's all stand. Elvis, if you'd come with a song of invitation. If he's not, that's what these altars are for. If he's not, that's why you've got prayer. You can call on God. We can have a coronation ceremony tonight. Right now. Then we can coronate Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and Master of your life. That struggle can be over. You can dethrone the flesh, Satan, this world off that throne and you can put Christ right back in the place He belongs. We can do it tonight. There can be a coronation service. Would you not do that tonight? Maybe you're here and you're lost. and You're a guilty sinner. Let me take you back. You're on the outside. You need what's on the inside. I want to take you to the, a brazen altar. There's a place where you can gain admittance to God It is by the cross of Calvary where Jesus shed His precious blood as a substitute for you. You can come and cleanse yourself in this Word. You can come into the very presence of God, enjoy fellowship, illumination, and and, uh, intercession with God. You can come into His very presence. You can walk hand in hand, face to face with the Lord Jesus. I think about what it said to Moses, that Moses could talk to God as a man talks face to face. That's the privilege we have as New Testament believers. 
We can talk with God face to face. We can boldly come into His presence because of Jesus. Maybe you're on the outside looking and you can come into Jesus tonight. If you'll realize you've got a need, you can come. There's a sacrifice been given. All you've got to do is reserve it as yours. Lay hold of it as mine. I take Jesus as mine. I know I deserve judgment. I know I deserve wrath. But I take Jesus as my own. You can be saved tonight. Elvis, what song are we singing? 375, let's bow our heads in a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we want you to have your way. God, we want you to have a place of preeminence, a place of of out front beyond anything else in our life, Father. Oh God, I pray that it would be so in this church as a whole and us as individuals that we'd have your agenda, your path, your plan out front before our own. God, I pray you'd, you'd save lost souls in our congregation, among our people, Father. God, that you'd show them their need of a Savior. Show them their need that they need to come to God and repent of sin. Make things right with the Lord tonight. God, we pray that you'd be magnified and glorified in the preaching and the receiving of your word. God, we ask these things in Jesus' precious name. I'm trusting to the unseen. We hope and pray that today's episode of the Unseen Hand podcast has been a help and blessing to you. For more information such as other podcasts, ministry helps, blog posts, previous sermons, or how to contact Brother Brown directly, just go to RonnieBrown.net. Join us next time for another message from Brother Ronnie on the Unseen Hand podcast. Until then, may God's unseen hand gently guide you on your journey home. The Unseen Hand